Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn. We're going to be in Luke 5 today. I'm going to ping pong around on the front end. I'm going to throw a bunch of verses at you. And uh, we've, been around, we've been in a series called Soma Summer, and it's really just an opportunity, um, just kind of a season for us as a church. And all summer long, we're talking wisdom literature. We've been talking books of book of Proverbs, and I'm going to use uh, in a passage in Ecclesiastes today. We've hit James one week. But uh, before we jump into the text, I'm just going to tee it up with a question. Uh, I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about every season of your life. And this probably comes alive the most, like in high school. But uh, how, how much the people around you impact you, your decisions, things like what you wear, especially in high school. You know what I mean? Like back in the day, it's just like, I remember when, Tim, anybody remember when Timberlands like were like just so high? You had to have, a, you had to have Timberlands. Okay, cool. My, I'm dating myself. It's just like them the Tims, you had to have them. Or like when everybody was listening. Do y'all remember when Savage Garden was popular? You remember that? Savage Garden is garbage. But we just like, everybody was listening to it because we were all listening. We're like, yeah, it's so good. It was not good. And so we just like, whatever the thing is, um, what you wear what you listen to, what you watch, where you go, how you speak, like it, it's all impacted by the people who are around you. So much so that if you travel regionally across the nation, like if you go to Southern California, it feels like you're in Southern California. You just look at people, you're like, I am in Southern California. This is like, this feels like that. If you go to the Midwest, they speak a certain way. You go to the Northeast, speak a certain way. Everybody's a little bit angry. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, what, like you come down south, where everything is kind, people holding doors, everything's a little bit slower. But we're, you know, like, so regionally, just depending on where you go, you're impacted by the people that you're around. Uh, and so it's so true that just the people who are closest to you have the closest relationship to you. Nobody impacts you more than those people. You begin to look like them, sound like them, talk like them, act like them, walk like them. And so, um, you know, it's said that the me- you're the median of who you spend the most time with. And you've, you've probably heard this said that your closest friend, you know, show me your closest friends. I'll show you your future. But we're in a wisdom series, and I want to show you what Scripture has to say about your friendships, about the people who are closest to you. And we're going to do some evaluating today about um, the company that we keep. So this is what Proverbs 17, 17 says. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 18:24. The one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. S- some of us, we have friendships. We have people in our lives. We're a lot tighter to those people than we are anybody who we're related to. Proverbs 27, 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from the heartfelt, their heartfelt advice. Proverbs 13, 20, I love this one. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. 
He said, hey, if you want to get wise, hang around wise people. You are who you hang out with. And also, hey, listen, if you keep a company of fools, life's going to be hard. And for some of us, we're struggling with things. We're having a hard time. Maybe you're struggling with the same things. Maybe you're hit, hitting your head up against the wall. Maybe, maybe there's some broken spaces in your life. And it's not so much uh, your desire or your intent. We talked about that last week. But it's who you're hanging out with. I mean, sometimes we need to think about take inventory. Do I need to change the landscape? 1 Corinthians 15, 33, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And so for some of us, we have a string of unfinished things that we felt compelled to do. Like you were passionate. You felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. But you just have, you're just unfinished in your work, not because you... Uh, lack the talents or because you lack the gifts or because you lack the grace to do those things, but because you lack the character to do those things. And the Bible tells us, hey, if you want to grow in the area of character, if you want to grow in the area of wisdom, you, need to, you, you might need to remove some bad company. You ever been a part of a team, like a sports team, or it could be a job, or it could be a classroom, like you're working on a group project or something like that, and you have one team member who has a terrible attitude, and then all of a sudden, they, they either remove themselves or they get removed from said team or whatever. And it's just like, do you remember what it's like whenever they leave? And it's just like, it, like everything is lighter. And it's because bad company corrupts. It's just poison to the rest of the team to be around that. And so here's what he's, he's teaching us in, in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 14, Paul, he goes on. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And that's like really in your face. Paul's like, hey, listen, be really intentional about who's in your core group of people. And he uses this word yoke. And it is not a reference. When I was growing up, I, used to thought, I thought it was about eggs. It's not a reference to eggs. It's not a reference to muscles or being ripped or any of that. It's a, it's a wooden brace they put over the back of two oxen. Uh, two bulls, two cows, whatever the case may be. And the idea is they are, they're plowing straight. They're doing all the heavy lifting. Let me yoke them together. They can pull this thing that they're pulling behind them, and they can, they can plow straight. But, but you got to be really careful not to put one strong ox with one weak ox. This is what he's talking about in this passage. Farming metaphor, I know, lost on a lot of us. But, like, the idea is if you put a strong ox next to a weak ox, if you yoke them together, strong ox just pulls that thing and whatever. Like, you're, going, you're not going in a straight line. If anything, you're going in circles. And some of us are struggling with the same things that we were struggling with last year. And some of us are facing some of the same uh, areas of brokenness or sin or just relational issues, financial issues, marriage, whatever the case may be, that you dealt with three, four, five, six, seven years ago. And the idea is like, man, what is the thing? I really want to change these things, but it could be that you need to change the relationships in your life. That you need to think about, okay, who's my core group of people? And some of you are like, well, what about, like, what if I'm married to somebody who doesn't share my convictions in Jesus or my faith in Jesus? I came to faith in Christ after I was married, or I came to faith in Christ before I was married, and, but, but I'm married. Or I've got a family member, sibling, parent, somebody who doesn't share my convictions in my faith. What do we do in those situations? You love those people. You serve those people. You continue to, like, be Christ to those people. If anything, it makes it come alive all the more. What, a, what an awesome opportunity and a privilege for you to be Christ to those people. 
But where you have an opportunity to build that, where you have an opportunity to build your core, because you're going to be on in those relationships. If you've got family members and friends who don't share your convictions, it feels like work when you're talking about your worldview and your faith in Jesus when they don't share those convictions. And so God, God's in charge of salvation. God's in charge of sanctification. Free us up from that. We get an opportunity to love and serve people, continue to do that. But we also get an opportunity to build the landscape. Man, what's my closest friendships? Who are the people that have the greatest impact on me? And so it's a big deal because God is a relational God. Everything by way of relationship. This is the gospel. The first problem in scripture isn't sin, it's solitude. God creates Adam and says it's not good that Adam is alone. And then he says, hey, I'm going to send some help because you're going to need it. In order to fulfill the call in your life, you need a partner, you need a mate, you need someone to do work with, you need a people. And so Adam and Eve, they're together in this thing, but then they, you know the story. They eat the fruit, they disobey God, sin enters the picture, they fall. And it's not just a death sentence. When they do that, what happens is the, there's relational separation between humanity and God. This is the reason why Jesus comes, to restore what's been broken. He comes for your eternity, the future hope of heaven and all that comes with it. But he also comes to restore right relationship between, uh, between God and man. There's enmity between God and man. And Jesus comes as the friend of sinners. Jesus comes and injects himself into this narrative. And he says, hey, I'm going to restore what's been broken. I'm going to bring relational health. And uh, I love it. John 15, 15, it says this. Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, hey, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I've called you friends. And then he teaches us that there's no greater love than to lay your life down for your friends. And then he shows us, he's like, here's what I'm saying. And then he lays his life down, basically calling me and you friends. Hey, this is for you. And then he calls us into that same, he calls us into that same life. But for many of us, uh, we struggle with this idea of the company that we keep, this whole idea of, and again, uh, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character because the reality is, is I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus. So Jesus in his spiritual perfection can walk into any room and just be very staid in his conviction. And yet you and I know because our whole life tells us we're we're pretty impressionable. Like we, we do what other people do. We say what other people say. We go where they go. We watch what they watch. We buy the shoes. We whatever. And so it's like, who are the people around me? I begin to look like those people. It's important that I'm, I'm taking inventory of who I keep company with. And so another thing, you know, for some of us, this is not all of us, but for some of us, when it comes to building those core relationships, uh, some of us feel the need to rescue everybody. We're trying to put the oxygen mask on before we've even put our own oxygen mask on. We're trying to save you. You're drowning while we're drowning ourselves. And we have a Messiah complex. And the idea is like, man, I can, man, I can do it. I can save this individual and I can save this individual. And I know they're not a believer and I know I'm not supposed to date. And I know I'm not supposed to be unequally yoked. But, man, they look good. And, uh, and also, they're on a journey. You know, they're on a journey. Even though you don't want to marry somebody who's on a journey. If they're going in a different direction of you, like a different path, like, you know, it's going to be a lot of work. I'm just telling you. Like, this is what the Bible tells us. Be careful of the company that you keep. And so it's always easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. Always easier. And a lot of us today, we need to take inventory of the people who are closest to us because nobody has more of an impact. There's nothing that will determine the direction of your life 
more than who's around you. Matter of fact, from a spiritual standpoint, just a faith in Jesus, like I love God's word, spend time in God's word. I love a worship song. I love all that. The times where God has chosen, like the times in my life where I've become more like Christ has been a result of people in my life that God sent. And so it could be Brooke. It could be my parents. It could be another person who's speaking into me the things that need to be spoken into me. But he uses people around you. So who, who are those people for you? That's the type of things that we need to be asking. And uh, there's a great passage of scripture in Luke chapter 5 that just really defines for us some great characteristics of a good type of company, the type of people that you want in your corner to navigate life. So as we're thinking through the company that we keep, as we think through those closest relationships, let's look at Luke 5, verse 17. This is a very familiar passage of scripture. Jesus is in Capernaum, and he's teaching, and he's healing, and he's in this house, and not everybody can get in the house, and there's a group of people, friends of a guy who's broken, who's struggling, who is a paralytic, who can't get in. You know the story, and they have to rip a hole in the roof to get him in there. This is what it says in Luke 5, 17. It says this, on one of those days as he was teaching, and I love that the Bible says on one of those days because it's just a reminder to me that it's not like it wasn't Sabbath. They're not in the temple. They're not in a church gathering. It's like a Tuesday at three. You know, it's like, it's like nothing else going on. It's just one of those days. And, and I, I just want to encourage you, like, God can meet you. Holy Spirit can wreck you when you least expect it. Like, that's the, that's the good news is that he's not subject to a space like this. The church is not a building. The church is not a program. The church is not an organization. The church is a people. And God uses people, and he can do it in Target, and he can do it at the gas station, and he can do it on Tuesday, and he can do it next. He can do it whenever he wants to. But on one of those days as he was teaching, and so go on to verse 17. It says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village. Everybody say every village. Every village. All right, every, that was weak. All right, so say Every village. Every village, every village of Galilee, Judea, from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was on him to heal. And I love it because Jesus is, so it's in just any given day. It's just one of those days. But also, where this miracle takes place is not in Jerusalem. It's not, in, it's not city center. It's not a metropolitan area. It's Capernaum, Capernaum. It's in this, it's just this rural area. It's like middle of nowhere. And Jesus, but, but how many of you know, like, when God's moving and God's doing a thing, that people stop caring so much about the address or the context or what, like, if, God, if there's a God party going on, people are like, I'm going to that one. So it's like people getting healed and stuff is like, turn up, we're going to Capernaum, doesn't matter if it's Jerusalem, Galilee, whatever, New York, doesn't matter. Uh, and, and that's just it's such an encouragement to me because our, our context I was sharing, Brooke and I were sharing uh, with some friends recently just about our story as a church and how when we first got started, we share this at Growth Track actually, when we first got started, uh, we didn't really want to be here. Like when people, when the, the, the pastors that sent us originally to come to this area was like, hey, what do you think about Hickory? We we're like, we don't think about it ever. Like we've never, like we drove through it one time to go to Asheville. And so we, but when we felt like, we're like, okay, do we plan a church? We were looking at Houston, Raleigh-Durham area. She was looking at San Diego. I was low-key looking at Honolulu and stuff like that. I was just like, Lord, send your boy. But, but, he's, but, but he said, hey, Hickory's it. A peace set in 
a love for this city set in, a love for this people set in, and a staidness set in. And I was so excited. I was telling people, I was like, hey, we want to plant a church in Hickory. First thing they said, almost everybody in our lives, when we said that, they were like, why? <laughs> like, why are you, like, cool, you're going to plant a church? Awesome. I'm on board. Why? Why? And, uh, and it started to discourage me. It got on me a little bit. And I was like, why are we doing You know, you start second-guessing yourself. Again, the people, the people in your life, you know, make a big. And, but then the Holy Spirit spoke to me in prayer time. The Holy Spirit was like, hey, Michael, what good comes out of Nazareth? And I was like, everything. And he was like, yeah, just, just focus. Like, just do what I ask you to do. Like, I can create revival anywhere. I can make, I, you know, I can make everybody move from Jerusalem to Capernaum. I can, like, I can, I can make the party happen. Don't worry about that. Um, just be faithful. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look up. Do what I ask you to do. Cool. So it's such an encouragement to me that God can do it anywhere. God can do it anytime. Look at verse 18 and 19. He goes on. He says, Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and they led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They can't see. It's not that they're bad. I used to read, I used to be so upset at the scribes and the Pharisees. I was like, jerks? You know, like, meanwhile, I'm pretty religious myself. And so, like, I just would always give them a hard time, realize, not realizing, man, they're trying to defend their faith. They're trying to defend, like, a lot. They just can't see. They're blind to the situation. They're going, man, who, who, is this, who is this person? Verse 22, Jesus perceives their thoughts, and he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? What's it easier? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. If you, I mean, if that's what y'all are after, cool. That, yeah. And verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Verse 26, amazement seized them all. They glorified God, were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And I love that because it's the faith of a group of people who had faith for their friend. So his salvation comes as a result of their collective faith for their friend. And God moving in his life impacted an entire people. Everybody who could see it, everybody who was around was like, whoa, that's different. And that's what God desires to do in our life. A few things around the company we keep, the people in our lives. The first thing is this. You need friends with great faith. And I know that sounds super elementary. You're like, I'm not writing that down. It's so simple. You need friends with great faith. Not people who on a piece of paper would say, I'm a Christian. Not people who, you know, have artwork in their house. I'm not talking about that. You need people who have great faith. <laughs> not people who would say, yeah, I follow Jesus. I'm, you need people who have great faith. Like when everything in, in your life is falling apart. Like when you're paralyzed and you have been for a long time, they're like, get up on this mat. We're going to Jesus. So you need people who have great faith for you. That's what you need. Uh, verse 20, it says, and when he saw their faith, the friend group, he looked at the guy and said, your sins are forgiven. I'm about to play with your theology a little bit. Right? And so it's their collective faith 
ushers this guy into a moment where he experiences Jesus and he sees Jesus. And it's their faith that gives way to his faith. And he, his sins are forgiven. And, and this, you know, is so cool because uh, there's certain moments in Scripture where Jesus is able to do miracles, perform miracles. And then the Bible tells us there's other places and spaces where he just can't do miracles. And so Luke, Luke uh, 5, 17, it says, The power of the Lord was present to heal. As if to say, some of the circumstances when people gather, sometimes the power of God isn't present to heal. I'll give you an example in Scripture. Mark 6, 4, Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up. Isn't that the kid we used to play kickball with? Wasn't his daddy a carpenter? You know, like, you know, that kind of thing. And he's up there preaching things they've never heard before. Again, stepping into his assignment, son of man is here. Jesus says to them in, in verse 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Which, by the way, is that a bad day? Because, like, I would really love that day as, like, somebody in ministry. I'm like, give me your worst day, Lord. So, uh, and then verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. You have some serious unbelief when the Son of God is like, wow. That is a lot of unbelief. You know what I mean? Whenever God is caught off guard by your unbelief. And, and it's amazing that Mark, it, you know, is kind of downplaying the healing of these few people. But it, when I read that, when I say uh, in verse 5, he could do no mighty works there because of their lack of faith. Some of you in your life, your ceiling isn't your gifts, isn't your intentions. We talked about intentions last week. You want to do good things, you can't do good things. Again, it's the path of life. So it's, it's not your gifts. It's not the grace on your life. It's not your intention. For some of us, the ceiling is the people around us. And, and just like Jesus, he goes home, and they remember Jesus who he used to be. And, and they're like, there's no way. And some of you, you're in a relationship with Jesus in this season that you weren't in a relationship with Jesus in that way maybe 10 years ago, maybe last year. Maybe last week. Brooke and I, we got 20-year high school class reunions this year. I'm dating myself so hard right now. And, uh, and, and we're going to, you know, roll up at these high school class reunions and be like, you look at the landscape of people, and you're like, wow, that person? Like, you know, you're just checking. each other like, wow, that's changed a whole lot. And you don't even have faith for, you don't even have faith like, that they could ever become that individual. The same thing's happening for Jesus in this space. And I'm just, I'm encouraging that there's some seasons of your life that whenever you level up spiritually, like you, like God does a thing in your heart and in your life and, and calls you to become somebody new, that you might have to change the landscape in order to step into that. That some of the people that got you there to that point just can't, not everybody can go with you. You can, you can want them to go, not everybody can go. And Jesus is in this space with this hometown crowd. Jesus saw their faith and, and the faith of, of the friends of this guy. And he says, your son, son your, your sins are forgiven. And so sometimes it's not your gifting, your calling, or the grace on your life. That's the ceiling for what God wants to do in and through you. But sometimes it's the people around you. And uh, I love the story. I love the story in Scripture. So just to juxtapose their lack of faith, there's a story in Scripture uh, of a guy who's not from hometown, but the centurion. And the centurion's servant is sick. He's dying. He runs to Jesus' centurion. He says, hey, Jesus, would you heal my friend? He's dying. 
And then he says, you don't even have to move. Would you just say the word? Like, would you just shoot a three? Like, just from half court. Just like, you don't even have to move. Just shoot your shot. And, and he will be healed. And Jesus looks at the guy and he goes. In the same way that he looks and he is mar- marvels at the unbelief of the people in his hometown, he looks at this guy and he goes, whoa, that's faith. And then he heals him without moving. And it's like, how much is untapped? Like, how much untapped potential is out there because of a lack of faith for God to move in our lives? And, and this, is, this is what he's teaching us in this passage about the paralytic. I want that type of faith that, that impacts other people's eternity. I want you to think about the, the people who are most important in your life when it comes to your own story of salvation or your own story of being in relationship with Jesus or just being in the life of the church. Who gave you your first Bible? Who prayed for you? Who led you to Christ? Who brought you to church? Who, what does that look like? And think about how significant those relationships are to your own spiritual formation and going, man, I would not be in a relationship with Jesus were it not for people. And then he's calling us to do the same thing with the people in our lives. Instead of abdicating responsibility, you and I have a responsibility. We teach this, we teach this today in Growth Track. We're called by God. It's a mandate for us to fulfill the Great Commission. It's not a suggestion. It's not like if you want to go and be my witnesses and make disciples. It's like, no, you have one job. And it's not what you think vocationally. You have one job as a follower. It's to be my witnesses, love God, love people, change the world, make disciples. That's your job. And the way we do that is through relationships. More than anything else in my life, more than even, again, I love the word of God. I love time of prayer. I love spending time like worshiping and God will speak directly to me. The Holy Spirit will give me a word. It's so, so, but more often than not, the way that he does that is through other people. And so who is that to you? Who's your circle? Who's the people in your span of care? What is the company that you keep? And, and this is what he's calling us to take inventory of. And so I love it, too, in this passage. Jesus isn't so wrapped up in the physical healing of this guy because he starts with, hey, your sins are forgiven. That's cool. Um, but your legs can work, and if your heart is jacked up, who cares? Right? If you can walk... Great. Guess what? One day you're going to die. So, like, we really want to deal with what we need to deal with first. Hey, your sins are forgiven. You're made. You're in a right relationship now with me and the Father. Luke 5, 20, he says this. And when he saw their faith, man, your sins are forgiven. And so uh, faith triggers this, the, just the grace of God. It is the means by which uh, it's, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. Is what the Bible tells us. God's grace saves you. And this is how important your friend's faith are. Is this the thing that ushers in this guy's salvation? And so one takes for granted what God has done in your life. Uh, and so you can overcome obstacles, barriers, sacrifice in order to get to Jesus. That's what these friends are doing. So, so one, one way, the people of uh, Nazareth, for example, the people in your life who... who aren't after the things of God who don't have a relationship with Jesus, definitely aren't passionate or have a great faith, take for granted the things that God's doing. And in not an entirely different group of people, even when it looks like this guy's been paralyzed for how long? Even when it looks like everything's over, they have the faith to say, we're going to rip the roof off of that thing and we're going to drop this guy in. And so that's the kind of people that you need in your corner. Our, our faith is made tangible by the way that we choose to invest our lives. So I want you to think about 
the effort, the sweat equity, looking ridiculous. Hey, we don't know what their insurance policy looks like in first century Palestine. We're going to have to patch that roof back up whenever we're done. You know what I mean? Like uh, just all the things that they had to think through in order to get to this moment. And so, but the thing that compels them to keep moving is they have faith that Jesus is going to heal their friend. And so the thing that will compel you is do you have faith that Jesus will show up in your situation? Do you have faith that Jesus will restore that relationship or can restore that relationship? Do you have faith that Jesus can restore your marriage? Do you have faith that Jesus can heal you physically? Do you have faith that Jesus can show up in your finances? Do you have faith that Jesus can show up and give you over to purpose and a direction and rob you of that depression that you have and that anxiety? Do you have faith that he can do that? Or do you have people, when you don't have faith yourself, do you have people in your life who have faith for you? And so that's what he has in this moment. And they don't take no for an answer. Real faith doesn't stop at obstacles or what seems like an impossible situation. It doesn't stop, but it keeps finding a way. Real faith is so persistent, and I love it. So this is like a, uh, it's a blessing and a curse, okay? So it's like I have this, I have this persistence thing, that, and Brooke has to deal with it on a regular basis. Y'all pray for Brooke. And actually, Natalie Jane has it really strong uh, in our family. The force is strong with that one. So she's pray for us. As a, as, as, a, as a mom and a dad. But it's, so it's a really good thing, and it's, it also could be a really bad thing. But from a faith standpoint, it's a really good thing. Because like, it's like, well, the, you know, it looks like all the doors are closed. Nope, they're not, right? And, and so it's like, it looks like there's no way. Nope. And so even when writing is on the wall, even when you look at the situation, you go, there's no way. Have the faith that says, yes, there is. I think about people who... Um, and, and this is going to get real raw for a minute, but like for people who have, who have lost, you know, loved ones or for people who have prayed for healing of others, and we've been there before, and, and you have people close to you pass and things that you're believing for and having faith for, the same faith required to pray for those healings, the same faith required to pray for miracles is the same faith required that when you don't get what you prayed for, you still have faith. Yeah. It didn't work out like I thought, but I still have faith that God works all things to the good of those he loves, including the one that we lost. Like you, so you're just doing the math, and you're going, I still got faith. You can't do anything with a person like that. What are you going to do with a person like that? Nothing, because they have incredible faith. This is what we see in this passage. Great faith keeps pushing, keeps believing. Great faith doesn't quit. It just rips the roof off. There's certain situations in your life and in my life, friends, family, people like that, that we just need to, like it gets messy. We just need to get all up in and get messy. Not an interve- I'm not saying not everybody do an intervention. I'm just saying you, there's, there's certain relationships that need to be restored. There's certain people that need to be brought to Christ. There's certain things that you and I need to be, do, do, need to be doing in this season. We're, doing, we're willing to do whatever it takes in order to get our friends and family to Christ. I want to be a part of a church that has great faith, willing to do whatever it takes to get others to Jesus. And so I, I need a friend and you need a friend to stand in the gap and believe for my salvation and my healing before I get it. And you do too. So here's the point. You, you need friends who will do for you what you can't do for yourself. So you need friends with great faith. Attached to that great faith is people who will do for you what you can't do in your own strength sometimes. Look at verse 18. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. He has, no, physically, there's not anything that he's bringing to the table. And I just imagine, because when I read scripture, I just kind of like inject myself into the story. I just imagine this brother being lowered down 
I don't know the last time you lowered somebody down through a roof, uh, but it's got to be sketchy. And then he, none of his limbs work, and it's a first century Palestinian roof. It's not like nice roof. It's like whatever that looked like, okay? We'll, we'll do a study. Somebody study that. Google it. But it's just like, but you, they rip a hole in it. They're lowering this guy down. He can't move. Super risky, really awkward, you know? And so, but, but they're having faith for him in that moment for something that he can't even, like, there's nothing he's bringing to the table except their faith. <laughs> and, and that's how important the people around you are. And the reality is at some point you're going to need church family, other believers, not even necessarily like people who are a part of your local church family, just other believers to care for you and be there for you and do for you what you can't do for yourself. That has been our story time and time again. Where seasons of my life where I was like, I am at the end of myself and God's grace is most tangible in the form of his people who came along and said, you know what? We, We got you. You can't carry yourself, we'll carry you. Can't help yourself, we'll help you. Can't afford that, we got you. Can't, fi- you know, like just people who extended grace to us when we needed it, you and I need it. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them. This is a passage that we often use at weddings and just to, just, to re, just to emphasize the significance of doing life together, hey, you were two people, now you're one person. Look at the benefits that are attached to doing life together. I would say the same thing is true for you and I who are believers in Jesus. We have a family. You have a church family. And you could come on a Sunday like this, and you can love music, and you can love the vibe, and you can be like, teach is really good, whatever your thing is. You pick whatever your thing is, kids, whatever. And, and But... But at some point, you need people. So people need to know you, and you need other people that you walk alongside of as you follow Jesus. Again, the first issue in Scripture wasn't sin. It was isolation. And so the same is true today. Uh, we need one another. You need friends who will do for you what you can't do for yourself. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. 26, he's talking about the body of Christ, which is our overall vision of the church. Soma means the body of Christ. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, if one part of the body suffers, man, every part should suffer with it. You ought to, there ought to be a collective pain. If one part is honored, every part should rejoice with it. And so you need a church family. You need to be rooted with a biblical community. You need some people who know you by name, doing life with you, who can navigate the highs and the lows, who are there to celebrate you but are also there when everything falls apart because, again, you need sometimes some people to carry you uh, when you kind of at the end of your own strength. You need, to, you need to have that collective faith. And so look at verse 25 and 26. He goes on. He says, immediately this man rose up. Before then, he picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God. I love this part of the passage because it's a reminder. Again, his buddies have faith. He's got a what, The only way we know this dude is he was a paralytic guy. It feels like a lot of the people that we, we meet in Scripture that experience miracles, they're known by whatever their struggle is, whatever their area of brokenness, whatever their area of sin. Hey, it's the prostitute that comes to the dinner party. Hey, it's the paralytic. Hey, it's the lady who's been bleeding for 12 years. Hey, it's the blind guy. Hey, hey it's the, the leper, whatever. And then, uh, but, but what's so cool about all that is when God heals him, 
what was what was his identity before he's the paralytic guy now all of a sudden becomes a big part of his testimony he stands up walks out it gets on everybody else and they go whoa which the encouragement is this uh, there's areas of your life and my life that God has doing just his greatest work he either already has done it or he's in process of doing it where he cleans up the greatest mess the areas of our life that God wants to do his greatest work and so um, what packed the punch about this guy's story as he shared what God had done as it d- did in his life is, um, is just the brokenness. Not, not the parts of his life that didn't need healing. We don't know anything about those parts. We only know about the part that, that needed a touch. And it's, and it's just a reminder to me that your testimony, my testimony, the things that God is equipping us with, to bring other people and stir other people's faith are just the areas that have been the messiest, the most broken, the hardest things we've dealt with, are the things that he wants to leverage to reach other people. And amazement seized them all. That dude wasn't walking, and now he's walking. And, and, and that's, your mess becomes your ministry, your pain becomes your purpose. What you thought was a setback in one season, I've been paralyzed my whole life, was really for this moment where Jesus looks at you and says, get up, walk. And, and it, becomes, it becomes a setup. And you need friends who can carry you when you can't walk. And there will come a time when you and I get the privilege to carry somebody else. It's a privilege. Man, it's such a privilege. It's, if you've ever been there, you know. Because if you've ever been carried, if you've ever been extended you know, forgiveness or grace in your life over something, you know that when the time comes for you to extend that same grace or forgiveness to others, it's a privilege to be able to carry people. And so you need friends who will do for you what you can't do for yourself, but you also need friends who will bring you to Jesus. Look what happens as they have faith for their friend here in Luke 22 through 25. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on. He went home glorifying God. You need friends who will bring you to Jesus. Who are the people in your life that draw you closer to Jesus? Who are the people in your life that have great faith? You need people who have great faith in what God can do in and through you who don't talk down to you, who don't, you know, like you have a dream, you have a God dream, something he's planted in your heart, and you begin to speak that out to people, and they're like, that's the dumbest thing ever. You need to not, you need to, you need to surround yourself with people who have faith for the things that God's put inside of you. But you also need people who will draw you to the person of Jesus. Who is it in your life that makes you look more like Jesus? Brooke and I were talking about friendships just this past week, and we were trying to discern, like, chemistry. Because, like, how... How do we decide who we hang out with, right? It's a lot of times it's proximity. It could be family. It could be shared interest. It could be all kinds of things. And then sometimes it's a chemistry thing. You ever spend time with people who you love on paper? You're like, I love this person. It's so amazing. You hang out with them. You're like, oh, that is life-sucking. You know what I mean? Because the chemistry's off or like they're Enneagram this, you're Enneagram that, this profile, whatever. But, but we were talking about what are the things that attracts us to people? And Brooke said, like, I get what I'm energized by, like who I love hanging out with. I was like, who is that? She was like, I love people who love Jesus. So like they could be an extrovert 
They could be an introvert. They could have no shared interest. They could, the, the shared interest is the love of Jesus. And, and you need people in your life who on paper, it makes absolutely no sense for you to hang out with except for a shared love of Jesus. And they stir your faith and your affection for Christ in such a way that just they bring you to Jesus. So who has great faith? Who's, who's helping to do some things for you when you can't do them for yourself? And who's bringing you to the person of Christ? And because that's what you need. That's what I need. That's what God's calling us to. And listen, he's calling us to be that for somebody else. Nothing will impact your life more than the people that you spend time with. I promise you. Like, you, you, you want to know where you're going, take inventory. How intentional am I with my, with my relationships? And there's circles, there's layers to that. So there's, like, there's, there's people who are more acquaintances, people that you don't know really well. There's people who are a little bit closer to. But then there's that core group of people that you and I really get to decide. Who's in this group? Who's going to speak over my life? What is the nature of this relationship? Are we peers? Are we friends? Are they mentoring me? Am I mentoring them? Am I, am I pouring out? Am I, and, and you need to decide what those things are because they're going to they're determine the direction for your life. That's what the book of Proverbs tells us. Hey, if you want to be wise, get around wise people. The company that you keep matters. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, grateful that man, you love us and you are for us and your desire is to be in relationship. And God, we want our own thing. We want our own way. God, we struggle in rebellion and selfishness and we just try and make it about us so often. And yet you still love us. Even when we were at our worst, you died in our place. Jesus, you came and you stepped into humanity. God, you... You put on flesh and bones because you're a friend of sinners and because you so loved us and your desire was to make a way for us to be in an eternal relationship with you, for us to, to be able to commune with you eternally, for us to be able to hang out with you and spend time with you forever, to be in right relationship with God. But God, also, you did it so that we could learn how to love one another, so that you could restore our, these horizontal relationships in our life. Would you give us discernment and wisdom? God, where we're, where we're unequally yoked, would you help us to take inventory and realize that, man, our faith is taking a hit. We're impacted negatively. We need to create more space, more time, more intention, more thought, more, more of our energy towards becoming more like Jesus. Who in our life is going to help us get there? So, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to every single person in this room just reveal to us the areas of adjustment the things in our life that we need to address who are the people who are far from you that it's our job our responsibility our privilege to bring them to you realizing that we need to be careful as we do that who are the people in our lives that when we hang out with them it just feels like the overflow it just feels like being in your presence it just feels like joy it just feels like the peace of god it just feels like man they're making me they're compelling me to become more like christ i need to hang out with them more they spend some time with these people. God, let's be intentional about creating community and group life and just being, being on, just being, being aware of how important it is. If you're here today and you have spent a lifetime trying to navigate life without having a group of people who had faith for you when you didn't have faith for yourself, or, or you could be here right now far from Jesus, don't have a relationship with God, just kind of broken, just kind of wandering through. You could be doing religious activity and not be in relationship with Jesus. Those are not the same. Being in church doesn't mean 
that you are a follower of Jesus. Having a Bible does not mean that you are a follower of Jesus. Who your parents are does not qualify you as a follower of Jesus. Only you and Jesus being in right relationship, surrendering your life to him and saying, I desire for you to lead me. I, I see you as Savior and I see you as Lord. That moment of surrender is the moment of your salvation. And that's the moment, too, where you just have a collective group of people, a church family, some, many of whom you don't even know, who, who want great things for you, who love Jesus and who love you. You step into a family of God. And if that's you today and you want to lay down arms, you want to stop fighting it, you want to stop trying to do things in your own strength, but you want to surrender your heart, your life to Jesus, I would love to lead you in a prayer. The Bible tells us it's important. Man, it's that, it's that faith that we have in Christ. It's through faith, but by grace that we're saved. And, and as we extend our, as we see Jesus for who he is, he lifts our head and we see him for who he is, we get an opportunity to confess him as Lord. The Bible encourages us to, hey, when that moment comes, confess him as Lord of your life. So with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to surrender your life to Christ, if you want to come alive in him, if you want to experience salvation, just a moment where you get to confess him as Lord, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Just raise your hand in the room and say, that's for me. I want it. I want what God has to offer. I want to come alive in Christ. Amen. Is there anybody else? That's awesome. Man. So right where you're at, if that's you, just pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for desiring a relationship with me so much so that you gave your life. I see you, I see your life, and I see your death, and I see your resurrection. It's implications for me. God, I am so grateful for your grace, for your forgiveness that you offer. God, would you, would you wipe the slate clean? God, would you pay my tab? I accept the free gift of grace, and I, I ask that you would lead me moving forward. God, by your Holy Spirit, would you just speak to me? Remind me of what you already said in your word, but just give me marching orders and opportunities to just build my life so that it's a reflection of you. Help me bring as many people as possible to your feet. God, help me bring as many people as possible who need healing, who need breakthrough, who need restoration, who need this same moment. God, would you give me over a courage of conviction to be able to live my life in such a way set apart that people look at me and say, there's something different. I want what they have. God, so grateful that you're moving in this place. God, so grateful for the life change, the things that you do, God, the salvation, the sanctification, the things that you're working on in our spirit today. We're so, we're looking, we're looking forward to the ways that you're going to change us, transform us into your image, Lord. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.